0: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in. We... in episode six. Yeah. to <laughs> <the podcast, laughs> This week America, the Tour Sports Podcast presented. By Fred Sportsbook, it is Friday, November 18th, 2022, people. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is having a great day, and we have ourselves a jam-packed, loaded Friday episode of the Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open Greg Sankey, our buddy, SEC Commissioner. He had some very interesting things to say about the future of SEC football when Texas and Oklahoma comes You want to listen to this, especially if you're a Kentucky fan, a South Carolina fan, a Missouri fan, some of those second-tier, no disrespect, but it's the truth, the non-Alabama LSU-type programs. From there, we will get to a preview of the Week 12 Slayton College Football, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Utah, Kentucky, Georgia, on and on and on and on and on. Also, we do a little college hoops. You watch Gonzaga, Texas. I watch Gonzaga, Texas. You know I got some thoughts on Gonzaga. And we wrap with America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Before we get to today's show, a couple quick announcements. One, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. Listen, I love working with Betfred. I've told you their story, but I'm going to keep telling you. Started in 1967 in the UK. And here's the thing about Betfred, right? Come to the U.S. and they promised to make a major splash, and they have. They are the presenting sponsor of the Denver Broncos, of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Colorado Rockies. And here's what I love about Betfred. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. I've told you before, but we've taken some of our listeners to the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Uh, Oh, by the way, if you live in the Cincinnati area, Make sure you're plugged in and stay tuned. We're going to have some major moves in Cincinnati as sports betting comes to Ohio on January 1st of 2023, literally like six weeks away. Nobody takes care of their customers like Betfred. And here's the best part. They got a great deal just for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's all you got to do. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 on any game this weekend. First-time users, bet 50 on any game. College football, the NFL, UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Utah, Kentucky, and Georgia—whatever your game of choice is—and you get two fifty in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. I love working with them. We got some major things planned, and I cannot thank them enough for their support. I also want to thank, by the way, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge: Bracket Fanatics. By now, you also know their story. I've been working with Bracket Fanatics for years. They, of course. Uh, have been with us for many March Madness events, and they have run an NFL Pick'em Challenge all season long for the Aaron Torres Podcast and Aaron Torres Pod listeners. For those of you who have not signed up yet, it is not too late. All you got to do is go to bracketfanatics.com, click the Join Bracket tab. The bracket name is Torres, and you're automatically entered. What do you automatically entered for? Many of you are probably asking. Well, here's what you're automatically entered for. We're giving out $100 weekly winners. So every single week, you log in. I'll even send you an email because I'm a nice guy like that. Make your picks. Simply just pick games, right? The Giants are playing the Cowboys. And I know they're not actually playing them, but you get the point. Make your picks. Most picks m- win. Most, most wins in a single week, you get $100 for your weekly winners, A $1,000 season-long cash prize. So Bracket Fanatics is tallying up the winners of every single week. And over the course of the season, whoever wins the most games gets thousand season-long cash prize. Week 10 is in the books. We are on to week 11. And I want to give credit where it's due. Our week 10 winner is Federal Thrash. Federal Thrash right now. This is his second win or her second win. I don't know who Federal Thrash is, but their second win this season, which means they've won $200 simply by logging into Bracket Fanatic's and making their picks. So congratulations to Federal Thrash. Also, a quick update. Ryan Lerman, who was a winner a few weeks ago, and Football Maniacs are tied atop the leaderboard with 90 correct picks over the course of the first 10 weeks. Houdé wins, and Freeds are tied behind them in second place with 88 wins. So if you have not signed up, go to bracketfanatics.com, and what you want to do, is click join bracket bracket name torres also if you're watching on youtube there's a link there if you're if you're listening on apple or spotify there's a link in the show description bracket fanatics.com join bracket bracket name torres but with that said let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day uh you know look it's another friday where the slate this weekend is good It's not insane though. Like we don't have to spend 18 minutes breaking down Utah, Oregon. And so instead what I want to do is I want to start with a piece of news that came out on Thursday, which I thought was very interesting as it pertains to the present and future and mostly the future of the SEC and more specifically SEC football. Uh, And whenever you talk about the, the future of SEC football, I think we all know what is on the horizon for this league. It just means more. And in this league, it just means more teams. Because no later than the fall of 2025, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be joining the SEC. I think you probably knew that by now, um, but we're going to get the SEC. We're going to get Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC no later than about 30 or so months from now. And really, since the the day this announcement came, I think the big question that most SEC fans of all now 16 fan bases in the SEC have been asking themselves is pretty straightforward. What does the league look like when Texas and Oklahoma get to town? Obviously right now we have two seven team divisions, the East and the West. The East plays the West for the SEC championship in Atlanta every year. And that is how we crown the SEC champion. But with two teams coming in, obviously in more of a Western part of the, of the conference geographically, the question has become like what becomes of the SEC and how the league is set up. Do you put both Texas and Oklahoma in the West and shift two teams East Do you put one in the West? Do you put one in the East? Do you eliminate divisions altogether? Do you go to four-team pods of four teams each? What do you do to figure things out? Well, on Thursday, we may have gotten a little bit of clarification on that because Greg Sankey was speaking in South Carolina. Uh, And credit to my buddy, Mark Ryan, a radio host down in South Carolina. He was at whatever availability that Greg Sankey had. And Greg Sankey, this conversation came up. And here is what Greg Sankey had to say. This is not a direct quote, but it is almost verbatim from my buddy Mark Ryan, radio host in South Carolina. Greg Sankey says, according to Mark Ryan, that's Mark M-A-R-C-Ryan on air on Twitter, if you missed the tweet. Greg Sankey says the league is looking at going to a single division and is leaning heavily in that direction, moving away from two divisions, no four-team system. So to be clear, this is not finalized. And to also be clear, because a lot of the big J's who got paid to go cover the SEC meetings down in Destin back in June, pointed out that Greg Sankey had kind of hinted at this back in June. But the bottom line is when he says this now publicly for a second time, I don't think he's saying that unless it very much appears to be where the SEC is going. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Let's break it down. Let's talk about this from all angles, because you talk about something that has a ripple effect on the future of the SEC. I believe for all 16 schools, this is big, big, big news. Now, first of all, if you get rid of divisions... I do think it's frankly kind of a good thing, right? Like, like, I get why we started doing divisions back in the early 90s. It created this cool thing called the conference championship game. It was an extra game. It made a lot of money. Uh, teams that wouldn't normally play each other got a chance to play each other. I know the first year it was Florida and Alabama. It was a classic game, blah, 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 blah. So we get why conference championship games were formed. And I also think they, they I don't want to say they've come full circle, But it doesn't feel like divisions are any way, any longer the best way to determine a champion, right? Uh, I give credit to the Pac-12. This year, the Pac-12 just said, you know what? In one season, we're eliminating divisions. The best two teams are going to play for our conference championship. Because just entirely too often, it does feel like the two best teams in the league are often playing in the same division. And very rarely are we actually learning who the best team is in a specific conference in a specific year from a conference championship game. Uh, you know, you go back to, to, I even think back to like the ACC when Jimbo Fisher, and I know he's a lightning rod right now, but when Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State, Dabo's really building that thing at Clemson. You knew they were the two best teams in the league. And once they got past each other, they had to go play some other scrub from the other division uh, to kind of justify a a, a quote-unquote conference championship. Same with the SEC for years. For years, the West was just stronger. Many years, it was Alabama and LSU. The winner of that game we knew was the best team. Some years, Alabama and Auburn, whatever. Whatever. Now, credit to Georgia because they've risen up over the last couple years, but there's been many years where we kind of knew who the best team was before we got to Atlanta, Uh, Alabama surviving the West. They had to play a bad Florida team or a bad Missouri team for a few years or whomever, and so it does feel like this stuff has kind of been outdated, right? Even last year, Michigan-Ohio State. Michigan beats Ohio State for the first time in forever. We know they're the best team in the league. Now they got to go go play some meaningless game in Indy. That's not really meaningless, but they destroyed Iowa and they had to do that to be named conference champion. So anyway, I, I think the, the divisions have come full circle. I'm totally fine with us moving on. Um, and what I do think this also means, if we do go away from divisions, I think we know something else about the future of SEC football as well. What we know it means that we're probably going to nine league games for a couple of reasons, right? So first of all, the SEC right now plays eight games um, and it's cool and it's fine, but it's kind of this weird thing where you play five team, six teams every year, but then there's a bunch of teams that you don't really ever play. Um, and so I, I think we go to nine conference games for a few reasons. One, it just simply makes more money. But two, then the structure of the SEC Kind of sort of remains the same and in some ways does get better, right? So, in a nine game model, this is how things would go. We would call it what they call the three six model, which means that you would preserve three rivalries for each team every year, right? So, say you're Georgia, every year you'll still play a couple of your biggest rivals. You'll play Florida, maybe Auburn, maybe Tennessee, whoever. And then you play the other six teams in any given year. And so, why that makes sense, why nine is cool is because now, rather than having these major gaps where you don't play certain teams, everybody would play everyone else in the league every other year, right? You play your three rivals, and then you play six other teams. The next year, the other six teams would rotate, which means you play all 16 teams in your conference, the 15 teams besides you, at least once every two years. And then the cool part is, now all 15 teams are coming to your stadium. So if you're a Kentucky fan and maybe once in your life you've seen LSU come in, or once in your life and you've seen Alabama come into Kroger Field, well, now you're going to see Alabama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, A&M once every four years coming through Alabama. I would suspect once we get word that we eliminate divisions, that would be the next step. And oh, by the way, it also you make more money by playing more league games. And so to me, that's probably the next step. And I think you can probably get away with it because in a 12-team playoff, those one to two conference losses will not be as bad. Finally, though, I do want to talk about kind of the winners and losers if this is where we go to a single division 16 teams. Um, And I think it's pretty clear, right? I think right now the biggest winners are those second-tier SEC teams in the West. So the West right now is just tougher. I think there's no doubt about it. I, I don't think we're gonna argue about that. Um, and it's just tough, right? It's tough for Mississippi State to get up off the ground. It's tough for Arkansas in a year like this where there's injuries and where stuff breaks your way, where every single year you got BAM on the schedule, you got LSU on the schedule. Um, you know, many years Auburn is up, some years AM is up. It's just tougher in the West right now than it is in the East. So Arkansas, all of a sudden, assuming that some of these teams aren't your geographic rivals, all of a sudden, you don't have to play Alabama every year. You're only playing Alabama every other year, and you're replacing them with a Vandy in certain years, a South Carolina in certain years. You're obviously playing Missouri every year, but it's the same with Mississippi State, right? Now, instead of having to play Alabama every year, if they're not one of your rivals, then you're now replacing them with a Vandy or a South Carolina or somebody um, that you wouldn't routinely play. And in theory, it gets easier. With that said, I will also say I think there's four really big losers with this news if it ends up being as was kind of said by Greg Sankey on two, on Thursday. And that's kind of those middle-to-bottom-tier SEC East teams right now, right? I think the biggest losers with this news are Kentucky and South Carolina and Missouri and Vandy. And I saw my buddy Justin Rowland bring this up. I want to give him credit a reporter who covers Kentucky. Uh, I love Justin. He keeps it hundred percent real all the time. And he was the first one that kind of brought this up, but I think he's hundred percent correct. It's the exact opposite for those schools where now, yes, maybe you get one or two of them as a rival, but now you got to replace a Vandy every year with a Vandy every other year. And that other year, it's going to be Alabama instead, or it's going to be Texas instead, or it's going to be Oklahoma instead, or you're going to have to play two or three of those teams every year instead of a year like this, where Kentucky their cross division games were Ole Miss and Mississippi state. Now Ole Miss happens to be good this year, but that's still, that's a pretty manageable schedule. Most years, Uh, South Carolina this year, Arkansas and Texas A&M that's pretty manageable this year. So you go on and on down the list Uh, and I think these teams are the biggest losers and they're the biggest losers for the reason that I just said right now, the structure is set up where you're really built pretty nicely to at minimum make a bowl game, right? Because you have four out of conference games, three of them are probably going to be against group of five or, uh, uh, FCS schools. You'll have your, your, your rival in a power conference. For Florida, it's the uh, It's Florida State. For South Carolina, it's Clemson. For Kentucky, it's Louisville. So you have your built-in rival, but you have three pretty easy out-of-conference games. Well, now if we go to nine league games, one of those is going to be eliminated. And then on top of that, all of a sudden, those built-in wins that you need to get to six, seven wins and bowl eligibility, now two or three are gone every year. And so to me, that is why. And, and I go back, I'll tell you where I go back to when I hear a piece of news like this. I go back to the day that Texas and Oklahoma, the the first rumor broke at SEC media days two years ago. And I said, I don't know if they're going to get enough votes because if I was a Mississippi state, if I was a Kentucky, if I was a South Carolina, a Missouri, a Vanderbilt, the last thing I want to do is bring more good teams into this league. And so when I think about what a single division, what a nine conference games where, where you play every team every other year, I go back to that first day that this news broke at the SEC media days, because what I said was, I said, I just don't know if I was uh, South Carolina, I'd be voting against it. If I was Kentucky, I'd be voting against adding those two schools. If I was Missouri, I'd be voting against adding Texas and Oklahoma. And the reason is pretty straightforward, right? It just makes it that much harder to achieve your ultimate goals because at the end of the day, look, I get why all this is done. It's more money it's more finances it's more facilities it's more higher paid coaches it's more and you know i know n i l can't be through the school but you get the point it's more money to run your program at the highest level okay but i do think it does come at a cost right and i, I was talking to, with somebody about this kind of in the college sports world the other day is it sounds great to get all this money but you as the fan you don't get any money if you're a kentucky fan if you're a south carolina fan if you're an alabama fan if you're an lsu fan if you're in the big 10 if you're a purdue fan you don't get any new money by usc and ucla joining the league all you get is two more teams that are going to make it that much more difficult to reach your goal and so if you're a kentucky fan think about being a kentucky fan right now you're in a frustrating year where you came in with real expectations that maybe if things sort of broke right who knows maybe you get to atlanta play for an sec championship well now good luck with that because now you don't just have to get by georgia You got to get by Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss and Texas and Oklahoma. And again, it just goes back to I, I never understood why it was such a slam dunk to let Texas and Oklahoma in because, sure, it's great for your school that they get more money. It's great for the construction company that's building all the facilities. It's great for the AD who gets an extra zero at the end of his check. But for you as a fan, you don't get anything out of it. All you get is tougher schedule, tougher teams, tougher road to whatever you're trying to achieve. And so I think to me, that's the biggest story that came out of this piece of news. I don't think it really affects Alabama all that much. I don't know that it affects LSU or Georgia or even Texas A&M, but I do think it affects Arkansas and Mississippi State in kind of a good way. And I think it really, really, really hurts Tennessee uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, maybe Tennessee in a down year too. Tennessee's up this year, but the wrong thing happens. Josh Heupel leaves for some reason. All of a sudden now you got to dig your way back up. I just go back to the day that this announcement was made from the SEC that these two schools were coming. I never understood why there wasn't more pushback, and I think we're starting to see now. Okay, it was cool here in Texas, Oklahoma, but now you're going to have to play them every couple years, and it's not going to be easy. All right, so what I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and when I come back, we will preview very quickly the week 12 slate in college football. Cannot believe we're at week 12. I'm going to talk about USC, UCLA. I'm going to talk about Oregon, uh, Utah, Kentucky, Georgia. We're going to talk about all of it. Take a quick break. Be right back. more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details all right everybody i'm back Good to be back gonna be back i uh, do want to switch gears. And do you want to continue the conversation on college football and look at the week 12 slate? Yes, it's week 12. I cannot believe that we are here. And as is kind of normal in the pre rivalry week slate, it's just a little bit quieter than usual. Obviously this is the week where a lot of these sec teams, some, uh, ACC teams kind of schedule an FCS or a group of five team. So no big game for Alabama this week. No big game for LSU, no big game for Auburn, a and um, whoever, Florida state in the ACC, a lot of group of five FCS, but there are still a few marquee games and I do want to get into them. And obviously want to start in the PAC 12 where this was supposed to be semifinal Saturday, right? I mean, this was supposed to be the weekend where you had four teams all ranked in the top 15 playing each other essentially two de facto semifinals to get to the PAC 12 championship game in a few weeks where one team would in theory be able to play itself into the college football playoff. Then, unfortunately, the Pac-12, Pac-12 all over itself, and we had Oregon lose last week at home to Washington. We had UCLA follow that up with a loss to Arizona. Now, it's worth noting all four of these teams, UCLA and USC, which we'll talk about in a minute, Oregon and and Utah, they're all still very much in the thick of the Pac-12 championship race. But really, realistically, USC is the only team in the Pac-12 that has college football playoff aspirations. And so let's start with that first one, UCLA hosting USC at the Rose Bowl. USC is actually a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And let me start by saying this. I didn't do a ton of reaction to the college football playoff rankings, but one thing that does annoy me is when we have these new rankings and when there isn't a lot to talk about, we like manufacture fake stories that don't exist. Like I like I I saw this as like a big debate of like, well, is USC can they play themselves into the playoff picture? If USC wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. Okay, I don't know exactly who they'll play. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But listen, um, you know, TCU might take a loss here or there. Even if they don't, Michigan and Ohio State, one of those teams is going to lose. Listen, I love Tennessee, but I think if USC runs the table, beats UCLA on the road, beats Notre Dame, wins a Pac-12 championship, at thirteen and one. I could see the scenario where the selection committee says, "You know what? They're a conference champion that matters." I'm not saying I agree with it, Tennessee fans. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Um, you know, and listen, there's there's other losses to be had across college football. If USC goes t- 12 and one and wins the Pac 12, they're going to get in. I think the big question is, will they actually go pack? Go go 12 and one with three really tough games remaining on the schedule. That's if they get to the PAC 12 championship game. Now, in terms of this game itself, it's really interesting because essentially what this game comes down to is we have two really elite offenses and those elite offenses are kind of going against the weak. The the, the strength of each offense is going against a weakness of the other defense for USC. USC. I'll say this. I don't think people like we're not talking about how good Caleb Caleb Williams has thrown 31 touchdowns and two interceptions this year. And I don't feel like anybody's talking about him. We're talking about CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker and maybe now Drake May, the quarterback at UNC, Luke May's younger brother, are in the Heisman conversation. If Caleb Williams wins out, he's going to be in that conversation. He is having an incredible year. And the good news is he's going up against a terrible UCLA defense. Remember this UCLA defense, like that's the reason that they're not 10 and one coming into or nine and one coming into this game uh, and still in the playoff hunt. It's because their defense couldn't get off the field because Jaden DeLora, the quarterback at Arizona was unbelievable last game, 23 of 29, 300 plus yards passing. And so now you think about what Caleb Williams could potentially do against this defense. It's going to be surreal It is worth noting, though, that uh, USC, obviously Travis Dye, their leading rusher, he is out. Jordan Addison just came back from an injury last week, so USC is well below 100%. Then on the flip side, there is the UCLA aspect of this. And listen, for as bad as the UCLA loss was last uh, Saturday, let's keep in mind one thing. First of all, I think most people liked UCLA coming into this game and with good reason. That run offense is elite. Okay. Don't forget. And I don't think people know this. I want to say don't forget. Cause I don't think most people know this. You know who leads the, the, the college football in yards per carry as a team. It's UCLA. They're averaging almost six yards per carry. That is absolutely insane. And they're going up against the USC defense that hasn't been very good stopping pretty much anything, let alone the run. Now everybody's all caught up with USC cause they took care of Colorado last week. But the previous three games before that gave up 35 points to Cal, 37 points to Arizona, and 43 points to Utah. So 35 points in the last, in three of the last four games. And I don't think you, you – uh, this is going to be really high scoring, I guess is the best way I would put it. The over-under is 76, by the way, in the Betfred book. But when I look at this game, a few things do stand out. One, it felt like up until last week when UCLA lost, everybody liked UCLA. I don't really get it. I don't really get why the tide has turned so much. I get that USC won last week, but USC was playing a terrible Colorado team and UCLA was playing an Arizona team that it, it, they're not good. Arizona's currently four and six, but Arizona was certainly battle tested, had played Oregon, had played USC tough, as I just said. And two more importantly, I just like the matchup for UCLA. One other note on this game. Uh, it is at the Rose Bowl. I think most of you know by now the Rose Bowl, not known for their capacity crowds and raucous stadium environments. I would expect this to be about 50-50 in terms of fan attendance. There's going to be a lot of Cardinal and gold in that stadium, but I do like USC. Or I do like UCLA to win. I, first of all, one, it'd just be so quintessential Pac-12 to go into November with three teams in the college football playoff race and end up with none of them going into the final weekend with a shot. But two, this matchup I just think favors UCLA. I think both teams score a lot. I think both teams struggle to get the other one off the field. But we've said since day one, not only on this show, but pretty much across college football, USC's weakness was their run defense and really the front seven. We knew they'd be able to score points. Could they stop anybody? They have not. And I just think we all liked UCLA up until a week ago. USC is, is injury, you know, injury riddled right now with Travis Dye out, with Jordan Addison out. And so I do like UCLA. That's my official Bet Fred pick, UCLA plus two and a half at home. Speaking of plus two and a half at home, how about Utah as a two and a half point favorite on the road against Oregon? And what this game comes down to, I think the reason that Oregon is an underdog, one, they did lose last week to Washington. But as we talked about on this show, I know that was a game that we previewed here is I said to you, I said, look, Oregon's one problem. They're probably the most complete. This is probably the most complete Oregon team that I've ever seen in my years covering college football. But the problem with Oregon, they had one weakness, and that was the secondary. They came into last week ranked 11th in the Pac-12 and pass yards allowed. They give up a million pass yards, uh, you know, 400-plus yards to Michael Penix at Washington. They're now the 12th-ranked pass defense in the Pac-12 and in the bottom 20 or so of college football. So I knew the upset could happen. But here's a positive spin. Is you're playing the best pass offense in the country, and you had a chance to win if Bo Nix did not get hurt to the second to last drive, Bo Nix goes down. You go three and out. You give the ball back. Washington takes the lead. And so when I look at this game, what this comes down to to me is whether just Bo Nix plays or not. We're, they're calling it a lower leg injury, so it's fifty. It doesn't appear as though there's any obvious answer as to whether he plays or not. Um, and I, you know, Dan Landing has talked a lot about the uh, uh, backup quarterbacks this week. I think at this point, you have to assume that a backup will play. And if you're going to bet it, by the way, I would very much wait until the last possible minute to see if Bo Nix plays. The good news for Oregon, though, and I think this is important: Utah's not a great passing team. Cam Rising, the quarterback at Utah, his last two games. Here are his. Uh, here are his. Uh, in terms of his passing completion, this, that, the other thing. Let's let's talk about what he's done the last two games. 219 yards passing a few games ago or last week, excuse me. 151 yards passing the week before uh, 199 yards passing against Oregon state a few weeks ago. So this guy's just not an elite passer by any stretch of the imagination. So that thing that Oregon struggles with, I don't know that Utah can expose it. And then it just becomes a battle in the trenches where these are probably the two best offensive lines in the PAC 12 and the two best defensive lines in the PAC 12. Maybe UCLA's up there in terms of offensive lines, but these are the two best defensive lines. And these are two elite offensive lines. Not going to bet this game, but if I did, I would probably take the under in this one. Cause I don't know that Bo Nix plays. I don't know that Bo Nix plays. I think both teams want to run the ball quite a bit. I can't, I don't have a strong pick on who would win. Need to know if the starting quarterback of Oregon is actually playing or not, but I would take Oregon and Utah to hit the under. in this one really quickly, a couple games in the sec, you know, one, Georgia's a 22 and a half point favorite at Kentucky. Um, And I I think the thing that stands out to me about this one is pretty straightforward is Georgia's defense is getting better, which is scary because they maybe have the most talent of any defense in college football. But when I look at what they did against Tennessee and then last week, they actually shut down Mississippi state pretty good. I don't know how Kentucky moves the ball. Kentucky has the worst rush offense in the sec, even worse than Texas A&M, even worse than Vanderbilt. And so if that's the case, And let me put it this way. If Kentucky can't run the ball, that's not good. On the flip side, go back the last two weeks. If Josh Heupel couldn't get his receivers open against this Texas, uh, 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 Georgia secondary, if Mike Leach couldn't get his wide receivers open against this Georgia secondary, I don't know how Kentucky does it. I think this is ugly. I think it's low scoring. This has historically been a pretty low scoring game, especially in Lexington. I think Georgia wins something like 31 to six, 31 to three, something like that. I do think it could get ugly. Uh, Old Miss Arkansas, you know, no strong opinions on this one. But what I would say about it is this I thought my buddy John Neighbors, uh, radio host in Arkansas, brought up a great point the other day. He said, Look at Old Miss. He said, What is Old Miss's best win? Because you look at Old Miss's schedule, and it again, it goes back to some of the stuff that we talked about uh, a segment ago. Look at their look at their schedule. They played Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa in the out of conference. In conference, here are their wins: Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn, AM, and that's it. And so you look at the in-conference schedule. They've probably beaten the three worst teams in the conference: AM, Auburn, and Vandy. You pick who you think is the worst in what order. And they beat four teams in the um and the out-of-conference, that weren't very good. Kentucky is not very good. So what's their best win? Is it Kentucky? Is it AM At AM in a game that you barely held on, you won by three? And so I don't know if this Ole Miss team is that good. The other thing to consider is a couple things. One, the weather is going to be brutal in Arkansas on Saturday night. It's supposed to be really cold, like 30-something degrees with heavy wind. The under probably is something that you should consider here. And I would also say, too, and I think this is a factor that I would keep in mind when thinking about this game. We call it the body blow effect. And I think it's important here. The body blow effect is usually when you play Alabama, Georgia, one of those type really physical teams, the next week it's a struggle to score to, to move the football. And I think that's going to be the case on Saturday for Ole Miss. They're beat up, emotionally drained, everything from that, uh, from that um That game against Bama, I would worry a little bit if I was an Ole Miss fan. I think Arkansas pulls the upset. I like Arkansas plus two and a half in the Bedford Sportsbook. I also like the under of 64 and a half in this one. Finally, Michigan's playing Illinois. I think Michigan wins pretty convincingly. Illinois was 7-1 and at one point, have lost two in a row. Um, You know, Clemson, Miami, I think, is another one that's low scoring. Both teams run the ball well. Both teams have good run defenses. It's almost like the Oregon-Utah game where I think it's going to be strength on strength. And I think that's really it. How about Oklahoma being a seven and a half point favorite in Bedlam against Oklahoma State? Feels like a total stay away to me. Uh, Ohio State, a 27 and a half point favorite against Maryland. I will not be touching that one. Uh, Florida and Vandy, I think will be an entertaining game. I expect a lot of points there. And that's really about it. Quiet slate. Good news is we get a lot of good games next week. Obviously, uh, Michigan-Ohio State is going to be the big one. We also have Auburn-Alabama in the Iron Bowl. We have Florida-Florida State, South Carolina-Clemson, uh, uh, Georgia-Georgia Tech. So a lot of good games next week. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, talk a very little bit of college hoops as Gonzaga gets destroyed against Texas on Wednesday night. We'll discuss that. Take a quick break. Come right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, So here's the deal. I want to get to some college hoops. You know, there's not really a ton that's happened since the Tuesday, uh, you know, the Wednesday morning show that we did. Obviously, that was recapping the Champions Classic. Michigan State beats Kentucky. Kansas beats Duke. Um, But, you know, a couple college hoops stories that I do want to get to. Uh, by the way, Monday's show, we will probably talk a little college hoops. I know we don't generally talk college hoops on Monday. It's mostly a football show. But with all of the big tournaments going on, the Maui Invitational, all that, we'll probably preview some of those on Monday. But let's get to some of these storylines in college hoops since we last recorded on Tuesday night into Wednesday. By now, I'm guessing you probably know where I'm going with this segment. You probably know what the one big story is. In college hoops, since I last recorded, it is the Gonzaga Bulldogs going into the brand new Moody Center, the new arena on Texas bas- uh, Texas's campus for basketball specific, uh, you know, events. There, Gonzaga walked in as the number two team in the country, Texas number eleven. Gonzaga is a slight favorite in the Betfred sports book, and Gonzaga got destroyed. Final score: ninety three to seventy four. And, you know, I got a couple thoughts on this. One, I know I always say the, the, the more interesting stories in the losing locker room. Today, let's give credit to the victors, though, right? Let's give credit to Texas basketball because this was a team coming into the year I was probably a little bit more down on than most people. You go back to last year, Chris Beard, year one, brings in a bunch of transfers, Marcus Carr from Minnesota, Timmy Allen from Utah, Christian Bishop from Creighton, Dylan Disu from Vanderbilt. And I remember being on this show talking about how much I love Texas, how they were the next great program in college basketball, Chris, because Chris Beard was at a place that he believed that he could win multiple national championships at. Well, it didn't really go that way for Texas last year. They, you know, they were never really bad, but they were never great either. The stat that stood out to me, and I understand that the big 12 is a brutal conference, But Texas at no point last year won more than three consecutive games once conference play started. So they never really got on a run. They never really had that moment where we just sat there and said, oh, my God, here comes Texas. And if anything, they were kind of a jumbled mismatch group of parts in terms of the team itself. Had a couple guards that weren't really kind of lead guard type, you know, talents. You had wings that couldn't really shoot. You had big guys that were athletic, but d- so the point was it never really fit. It never really made sense. Now to the credit of Texas, they did win an NCA tournament game last year, losing the second round, but going into the season, there was a lot of buzz on Texas in large part because of two things. One, they did bring in one marquee transfer Tyrese Hunter uh, from Iowa state. He was the big 12 Freshman of the year last year. And they also added a couple five-star freshmen, Artario Morris and Dylan Mitchell still, I wasn't really sold on them even after they beat Arkansas at an exhibition charity event a few weeks ago. But then I watched them against Gonzaga and I'll give credit where it's due. I was wrong on Texas. Oh, we'll talk about them and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And this is a really good basketball team. The difference, the the X factor, it is Tyrese Hunter. uh, Wednesday night against Gonzaga, he finishes with 26 points. Five of eight, three-point shooting. That was the really the, the variable that was missing last year. Didn't have great shooting and really didn't have a playmaker at the point guard position. Marcus Carr is more of an off-the-ball guy. Get him the ball in space, allow him to make plays. Well, Tyree Hunter kind of solves two problems with one. He's a great three-point shooter, and he is a great playmaker for others, and that was on full display on Wednesday night against Gonzaga. He finishes the game. This is Tyrese Hunter, the star transfer from Iowa State, a career-high 26 points, five of eight from three, two assists in the victory. And so what I would say in the big picture with Texas, this team just might be better than I gave them credit for. They had the talent, they had the athleticism, they had the skill, they had the coaching, but now they have a star player who can make plays with the ball in his hands. And the other thing that stood out, the defense was really good. Now you look at the box score, statistically it wasn't great. But if you watch this game closely, Fran Fraschilla was calling the game. I think Fran is as good as anybody in college basketball in terms of, like, making the viewer smarter. And he kept pointing out, oh, that's a scouting report thing. Oh, that's a thing that they talked about in, in walkthrough today. And so with Fran, what he said was there was two or three moments where they're trying to get Drew Timmy the ball here. They're trying to do this there. They're trying to do that there. This being Gonzaga. And Texas had answers for everything. And so credit to Texas, big win, momentum kind of gaining win. And now they're kind of an interesting team because outside of this, they don't have a ton of super marquee games left until league play starts. They don't play in the Maui Invitational, they don't play in the PK 85, which is the Phil Knight event in Portland. They do have Creighton in the Big 12, uh, Big East Challenge on December 1st. They do have Illinois a few weeks later in a big game as well. But this is a team that I just think they're probably a little bit better than we gave them credit for credit to Tyrese Hunter credit to Chris Beard. This team has a chance to, 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 I think in a, in an interesting big 12, right? We talked about Kansas on Wednesday show. I'm not a huge Kansas guy this year. I don't know what they do. That's super special. Could Texas surprise some people, maybe win the big 12. It's a little early for that, but they surprise me here on the flip side. I just told you why I was wrong on Texas in the preseason. Well, I was dead right on Gonzaga. Here's the bottom line. There were people in my business, in the media, and we'll talk about it again in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, who were adamant that like Gonzaga is the number one team in the country. They have Drew Timmy. And I said, I don't really know that they're the number one team in the country. And the reason being, and we talked about it all offseason. I remember talking about this back in April. I remember in April talking about this and saying, what is their point guard situation? Because for Texas, for, for Gonzaga to have success, we know drew Timmy's back. We know he's great. We know this, we know that they need somebody to step up at the point guard position. Cause remember last year they had a kid named Andrew Nemhart, was the first pick of the second round was a great college basketball player. And I just said all off season. I said, they need one of two guys to step up either Nolan Hickman or Hunter Salas, both were five stars, both were freshmen last year, they didn't really play, and unless one of those guys steps up, I don't really see the scenario where, like, they're a national championship caliber team. They're going to win a lot of games in the WCC. They're a talented program. Drew Timmy's going to bail them out of a lot of stuff, but I don't really know where I see, like, that this is, like, that kind of team, like a national championship caliber team. Well, fast forward to Wednesday night. They had the same problem they did against Michigan State on the aircraft carrier. Finished with 20 turnovers and only 10 assists. Think about Gonzaga basketball over the last decade. What do you think about? Spacing, ball movement, creativity, offense, beautiful flow, rhythm. 10 assists and 20 turnovers? Are you kidding me? And so this ultimately goes back to what I talked about all offseason. I said, where is the point guard play? And listen, there's another conversation for another day about the fact that Tommy Lloyd, who was their lead recruiter, has gone to Arizona. And I will say this. I'll be blunt. I'm just going to be honest with you. Arizona plays in about an hour from now. I'm recording here about 8 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night. They may take a loss tonight. and I may look stupid. But uh, Tommy Lloyd was the international recruiter. He was their lead recruiter. And I do wonder if they're missing a little bit without him. Now, I'm not saying Gonzaga's falling off a cliff. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is, is that the team that we have gone to know, ball movement, spacing, ball handling, three-point shooting, they're not really on display. Now, the good news is uh, the, the out-of-conference schedule is brutal, but they'll get right in conference play. But that out-of-conference schedule is brutal. I'll say this right now. They do play Kentucky next on Sunday night. So we'll talk about this on the Monday show but sunday night they play kentucky i think kentucky is going to spokane and winning i just don't think this is a good gonzaga team when i say not good i don't mean oh gonzaga so overrated they're terrible i think they're probably a top 15 or ish or so team i think they're okay i don't think they have good enough guards and so i think tuesday night a wednesday night proved it i do like kentucky to go into the kennel and get the w I think if you can get pressure on their guards, which Kentucky will with Cason Wallace, uh, with Jacob Toppin, who's more of a wing player, with Antonio Reeves, I think they go in and get the win. A couple other news and notes from College Hoops. One, did you see Trevin Brazil, the forward from Arkansas? I've been telling you about this kid since the transfer portal opened in April, the dunk of the year. Murdered a guy. Arkansas wins. We'll talk more about Arkansas. They go to the the Maui Invitational next week. Uh, Game one, they are going to destroy Louisville. Poor Louisville. Can't get right. Can't beat anybody. Arkansas plays Louisville in the Maui Invitational opener, and they play Creighton in round two. So the Maui Invitational is going to be great this year. Creighton's a top-10 team. Arkansas is a top-10 team. Um, San Diego State's really good. Arizona, we just talked about, is good. The Maui Invitational is going to be awesome. Arkansas gets the win by the way, really quickly, just a quick shout out to Iowa basketball. Don't know how much we've talked Iowa basketball on this show, but remember this time last year, they lost Luca Garza. Turned out. They were pretty good. They won the big 10 conference tournament title. They ended up as a three seed. They ended up losing in the first round to, uh, they ended up losing to Richmond. They were actually a five seed, not a three seed, but come back this year. They lose Keegan Maria top five pick to the Sacramento Kings. They destroy Seton Hall on Thursday night against Seton Hall. So I'm sorry. I'm just tripping here. I'm I'm thinking about the Friday schedule. We got a loaded Friday schedule. Villanova at Michigan State. Yes, Michigan State has another marquee game. Uh, Xavier playing Indiana. And as I said, Sunday, we get a very interesting matchup. Kentucky in Spokane against Gonzaga. We will have a recap of all of this on Monday's Aaron Torres Pot. All right. So what I want to do take a quick break. Do want to come back and we will wrap with what has become America's favorite segment, Aaron, right? Aaron wrong. Take a quick break. Be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the drill. Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every single week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for one very simple reason. Over the course of a week, a month, a year, nobody gives out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. And when I get stuff right, nobody likes telling you about it more than I do. Torres told you this. Should have listened to Torres. Why didn't you listen to Torres? Torres, 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 Torres. Never shut up. Swear to God, I never shut up on some of this stuff. With that said, I get a lot of stuff wrong too. And so I got to take the L's. I got to take the walks of shame. And I got to own up when I get stuff wrong. And trust me, I've gotten a lot of stuff wrong. Let's get into it all right now. This week's edition of Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. My best and worst takes of the last couple weeks, months, and years. Where Aaron was right. And you talk about it all the time, Where Aaron Was Right. How about the UConn Huskies? That's right. We're talking UConn football, baby. They are bowl eligible after beating the Liberty Flames at Rentsler Field last week. Just one week after Liberty beat Arkansas in Fayetteville. Listen, I've said from the beginning on this UConn thing, I'm not an al- I'm not a homer. It's not because I'm an alum. This job is people is better than people give it credit for. A year ago, people were saying UConn should shut down football altogether. They should leave the FCS. And what I said was pretty straightforward. I said they'll never be Clemson. They'll never be Ohio state, but that's okay. UConn fans don't expect that. All we expect is a respectable product on the field. And all it is going to take is the right guy that sees the upside in the opportunity in this program. What, what we needed was a coach. What we, yes, UConn, I said, we, what UConn needed was a coach that realized that this is a state school with state resources Great facilities. Jim Mora came on this podcast and said, I have people on my staff from the SEC who say our facilities are as good as anybody's in the SEC right now. All it took was a coach that believed in that, that believed in UConn and believed he could build something there. Well, UConn is now six and five. They are going to a bowl game and I'm just fascinated to see where they end up hoping I can get there. Can't promise anything UConn nation, but so fired up for my UConn Huskies where Aaron was wrong. Really right on Jim Mora. I was really wrong on Oklahoma. If you go back to the preseason, I had Oklahoma in my college football playoff and my thought process was pretty straightforward. I said, I think the, the offense really shouldn't miss a beat. They're bringing in a great coordinator named Jeff Lebby from Ole Miss. They're bringing in a great transfer quarterback named Dylan Gabriel from Central Florida. And while the offense isn't going to miss a beat, the defense should be much, much, much better under Brent Venables. I uh, yeah. Uh, No, that is not what has happened at all. Instead, Oklahoma has completely fallen off the face of the earth. And as we talked about on Monday, I continue to be blown away by the Oklahoma fans that continue to say, oh, it's Lincoln Riley's fault. He left a mess. Well, Lincoln Riley inherited a much bigger mess than if, if you believe Lincoln Riley left a mess at Oklahoma. He inherited a much bigger mess at USC where they were four and eight last year. They are now nine and one with a chance to play themselves into the college football playoff. Oklahoma, meanwhile, is five and five. This is literally their worst season of this century. Like they have not been worse than they are right now at this point in the season, at any point since the turn of the century. Even worse. I don't know if Brent Venables gets it, man. He said in a media availability this week um, that he doesn't plan on hitting the transfer portal very hard. He's he's lost a couple commitments. And I'm just telling you, I think this program is headed in the wrong direction. We talked about it when they left for the SEC. Um, You know, listen, when Lincoln Riley left with the wrong hire, this could turn into the modern-day Nebraska. I'm not saying it gets there. I just don't think Brent Venables is the guy. Where Aaron was right, did you see the Gonzaga-Texas game on Wednesday? And if you didn't, we just talked about it. But here's the bottom line. All offseason long, I saw people in the media that I respect saying, you know, I think Gonzaga might be the number one team in the country. And what'd your boy Torres say? I said, they could be, but I just don't see it in my final poll heading into the year. I think I had them at five or six and that felt pretty gracious. And here's why I said it since April, they don't have a point guard. They lost a point guard named Andrew Nemhard to, to the NBA. He was the first pick of the second round and they're replacing him with two sophomores that did not play last year. And I said, unless either Nolan Hickman or Hunter Salas made a giant leap. I didn't think Gonzaga was elite. And so when I look at Gonzaga, I never loved them. They go to Texas. They get smacked on on Thursday, on Wednesday night against Texas, and it doesn't get any easier from here. Remember, from here, Gonzaga has Kentucky on, on Sunday, which we talked about. They have the PK-80, and oh, by the way, they still have Baylor after they go to Portland for that PK-85 event. I think it's going to get better before it gets worse. I'll say this too. This is why I would not go to the big 12 if I was them. Take your lumps in the out of conference, get healthy, get right in the conference play. If you're in the big 12 in a year like this, you're probably going to end up as an eight, nine seed in the NCAA tournament. I don't get the move to the big 12. Nothing's official, by the way. I'm not saying that anything has happened with that, but what I am saying is I told you all off season. I said, I don't like the makeup of this Gonzaga team. I think they're fine. I don't think they are elite where Aaron was wrong. Listen, I was wrong on the team that they played Texas on Wednesday night. If you remember two off seasons ago, last off season in Chris Beard's first off season, I said, I love Texas. They crushed the portal. And I thought they were largely a mess last year in in year one for Chris Beard. Well, this off season, he basically brought back the the same team that he had last year, added Tyrese Hunter, a transfer from Iowa state added a a five-star named Dylan Mitchell. But I said, the whole team is still the core from last year. How much better could they be? Well, apparently a lot better because they destroyed Gonzaga, one by nineteen. It was Gonzaga's biggest loss in over a decade, and they looked really, really, really good. Tyrese Hunter, the transfer from te- uh, from Iowa State, twenty six points, including this guy was lights out from three point land. And all of a sudden, you start talking about a a team you know that's not named Baylor, that's not named Kansas, that could rise up in the Big Twelve. I think it's Texas. Chris Beard, I liked the hire when it happened. I did not like last year, and I was not excited coming into this year, but this is one I'm probably going to have to take an L on. I just feel like, man, they are way better than I thought. Where Aaron was right. So this was a little one that flew a little bit under the radar over the course of the last few days. But the Florida Gators men's basketball program, yeah, they took an L to Florida Atlantic at home on Tuesday night. Why does it matter? Why do I care? Well, I'll tell you why I care. It's because all off season long, there were certain people in the media that were hyping up Florida because they have this 36, 37-year-old whiz kid head coach named Todd Golden, and he loves the analytics. That's what he kind of came up on. That's what he's known for. He's a quote-unquote analytics guru. And what do I always tell you about analytics? They're important, but they are not a be-all, end-all, Okay. Analytics tell a picture. Analytics paint a narrative. Most importantly, analytics create, the analytics are in place to exploit the smallest of inefficiencies. Remember, this is why the Oakland A's originally created Moneyball. It wasn't to win championships. It was to exploit whatever market needed to be exploited. Well, Moneyball started about 15, 20 years ago. How many World Series championships does Oakland have since then? Zero. Because at the end of the day, analytics play a small role. They are not the entire thing, and it does not matter if you don't have talent. And so when everybody was hyping up, oh, Florida, oh, analytics, what did I say? I said, yeah, you know who else has access to analytics? Bruce Pearl, John Calipari, Eric Musselman, Nate Oates, Rick Barnes. And they all got much better players. And so at the end of the day, Todd Golden comes from San Francisco. Yeah, it's cool you had analytics there. You weren't playing the guys that you're going to play in the SEC. They take a loss to Florida Atlantic. And I'm just telling you, I think they're a fine program. I think they're a fine team. They are not elite. They are not great. They're not anywhere close to the top of the SEC. I was just dead right on the Florida Gators basketball team. But where Aaron was wrong, I'll say this for Billy Napier, the Florida football coach here. I've been a Billy Napier guy, but over the last two, three weeks, I have really said, I don't think Florida is that good. I think they're overachieving with Billy Napier. And most importantly, I said, you know, I don't know what Florida does at an elite level right now. Well, last two weeks, they're running the crap out of the ball. Okay. So last week against South Carolina, this is the Florida Gators football team. They finished with 374 yards rushing. Two different backs went for over hundred yards and Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, went for 98 yards, meaning they were two yards away from having three 100-yard rushers, and that is on top of a few weeks ago when they won at Texas A&M in a game where they had 291 yards rushing. And so I look at this Florida Gators football team, and I still think this is probably the least talented roster that Billy Napier is going to have, and he has them at 6-4 and going into the Vandy game this week. Beat Vandy, all of a sudden you play Florida State to go to 8-4. and If he gets to eight and four with this roster and this schedule in year one, it'd be incredible. I don't think they're beating Florida State, but it doesn't change the fact that they're ahead of schedule and that I was dead wrong on the fact that this team has no talent and they're not very good because they are just good. I give them credit. Really quickly, two more where Aaron was right. Earlier this week, USC basketball got a commitment from a five-star named Isaiah Collier. And depending on what recruiting service you look at, Some have him listed as the number one player in the country. Now, the 24-7 consensus, DJ Wagner, Kentucky, but Isaiah Collier commits to USC. And how about by Trojans? Listen, I've been telling you for years, Andy Enfield is doing one of the most underrated coaching jobs in all of college basketball, okay? I live in LA. USC basketball has never had the sustained period of success that they're in right now. Now, if it was Kentucky, you'd be disappointed. If it was Duke, you'd be disappointed. But here's the bottom line. here is. USC basketball over the last six or seven years, 2016, they make the NCAA tournament 2017. They make the NCAA tournament 2018. They are the first team out of the tournament 2019 bad year 2020. They would have gone if not for COVID, they made the tournament each of the last two years, including an elite eight run. So essentially what I'm trying to tell you is they are one win in 2018 and a pandemic in 2020 away from going to six NCAA tournaments in seven years. USC has never done anything like this in the modern history of their program. Credit to Andy Enfield, and it's not slowing down. The other thing with USC basketball, they put out a lot of pros. I don't think people realize it. Everyone knows Evan Mobley, but Inyeka Kongwu plays for the Hawks. Jordan McLaughlin, a point guard who played at USC, is in the pros. DeAnthony Melton, Chemezi Metu. You go on and on down the list. Credit to Andy Enfield. He has been awesome. USC basketball is a program that does not get enough credit. And finally, where Aaron was wrong. And this is a big time L. In the preseason, I said, you know, I'm not really sold on the Kansas City Chiefs. What are they going to do without Tyreek Hill? Oh my goodness, the division is so tough. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Torres was dead. Wrong. Here's the bottom line about Kansas City. Um, you know, one, the the loss of Tyreek Hill has not mattered, at least not in the way that I thought. Two, the division isn't very good. But three, here's the bottom line. After Buffalo's loss to Minnesota last week, have you seen the AFC standings? You know who's in first place, and you know who would have home field advantage throughout the playoffs next year? It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Was dead wrong on this. I got to own it. KC remains awesome, and I learned my lesson. Don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Tora Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to, Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to JJ Reddick, UFN. I'll be back Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil.